Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. William. Dom. We're here. Here we are in the Friendship Onion Studio. Not only the Friendship Onion Studio, but a Friendship Onion Studio resplendent with new fanart. Fanart all over the walls. Yeah. There's a picture above you of Perry and Mippin. There's you as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Well, I would be wonderful. Yep. There's a kind of an anime tribute to the four hobbits here. The stick drawings. It's lovely. Onions. We're running out of space because I there's a... I don't know where to put this one, which is my favourite out of the fan arts. I do enjoy that one very much. We're just trying to figure out where to put that. I might might just have that there. Most, just at all times. It's lovely That's that. Where, that was when we had the, the side cameras for Billy and Don't Meet the World. I want them back. I want them back too. I want them back. You look handsome. Uh, what have you been up to any, this week? Anything uh, interesting to report? They're sharp them, aren't they? Yeah, I, I keep doing that. Mm. What's Mo- this part of a sword called? Is that the hilt? Well done, Dom. Take it right up to the hilt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, what's been happening this week? Not a lot, really. I bought... Oh, God. I, I bought a new... Uh, Hoover. No. Uh, uh, spatula. Colander. No. no. Sieve. No. Is it for the kitchen? No. Yeah. Is it? Well, uh, force it. It goes outside. Dog. Something happens inside, near the kitchen. A mop. And then it goes outside. It goes outside. Why? Because it stinks. A bin? No. Uh, compost? No. Uh, fridge? Uh, no, fridges don't tend to go outside. Sometimes they're empty, and when they're empty, they're of no use. Ice ice cleaner. Ice box. You ice hang box. things on it. A, a, a maiden. A, a washing maiden. What's that? Is that what it's called? What's that? A we, washing maiden? I think that's what my mother calls it. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Maureen. That, that you put your washing on to dry? Yeah. Okay. A clothes horse. Yeah, clothes horse. Nice. I bought a new one. Okay. What happened to the old one? Destroyed by your dog. I, I wash my, uh, I wash my uh, uh, sleeping bag. Why are you going camping? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. That's a strange thing. Well, I must get that washed. What's I rinsed it. Just very, very simply. And uh, but when I got it out the bath, where I washed it, and it weighed up. Tons of You've made some terrible decisions this week. And I put it on the clothes horse, and the clothes horse, like an old horse would, his legs just went woof from <laughs> out from out. under him. Well, I could imagine. What was uh, that, like a, a 75 pound sleeping bag when it came out of the bath? It weighed, a, I mean, it was a lot. Mm. But, so, the, the, I had the normal horse that went up like to a point, like a, you know, a triangle. An actual horse. <laughs> no. The, the clothes horse went like that, but I got a new one. It goes like that, but also it's got wings that come out like that. Oh, lovely. An a extender. lot more room. Mm. I, put a, I put a big load on this morning, Dom. Mm, lovely. D- all darts. All darts. And I hung it, and I took every single inch of space on this thing. Wow. Now, is that outside or in? It's outside. Yeah. yeah. So it's for the drippage. Getting a bit of air about it. Yeah, nice. That's natural, that, isn't it? I still can't solve the conundrum of uh, how to not have my clothes smell fusty. Did we talk about this? Do you think it's... Uh, because I don't get that. But do you have as many T-shirts as me? No, I don't think so. I rotate. You, you rotate, you. I would say, probably 15 to 20 backs, right? At most. I mean, have you ever seen me in this T-shirt before? Yeah, I saw you uh, online with that T-shirt on. Oh, yeah, well, that's kind of... Yeah, okay. It's nice. But do, it? not often. It's a big dog. It's a big Doberman, what? isn't it? Yeah, it's a Doberman pincher. Yeah, um... My thing is, because I have a lot of T-shirts, I won't get round to wearing the same T-shirt for probably six months maximum. Minimum. 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 Not maximum. Minimum. Minimum. And when I put it... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On, even though it's clean and it's come out the washing machine and it smells like, you know, fluffles or whatever you call yeah. it. It now smells a bit fusty, like a second hand I don't get that. Maybe somebody out there in the Friendship Onion universe mm. can help us. Mm. Because I would think it's not going to start. Unless does your... Um, does your... That does person. your... Does your uh, closet smell? No, I wouldn't say. It's... Like, if you took all the clothes out. Yeah, does my closet smell of tuna yeah. fish or something like that? No, it doesn't smell of anything. So where's it picking up the smell? I don't know. I don't know. Is it damp in your house? No. It's a mystery. But if anyone knows, someone said to me, well, we went for dinner the other night, and yeah. someone said, have them be all dry cleaned and then individually put in plastic. And I said, well, there's no way I'm going to do that. Well, it's not like you're a high-end T-shirt store. And also, it's only good once. When it's encased in plastic, that thin, that plasticky stuff, maybe it's good then, but then as soon as you take it out, it's, it's not good again. But, like, <clears throat> I don't have as many T-shirts as everyone else. Let's say, let's take, for instance, someone who is a little bit of a style icon, David Beckham. Yeah. He probably has hundreds, if not maybe even thousands of items of clothes. If he doesn't wear a suit for a couple of years, when he goes to take it off the hanger again, is it a bit... Fusty. Well, that's a good point. I've, what, I've ask got, David Beckham. No, I've got suits yeah. I don't wear, but when I put them on, they don't smell fusty. 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 <laughs> what do you call it? Fusty. Fusty. But I like it. Fusty. 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 Uh, lovely. If you do know, if you why, do know, why clothes would smell for no other reason? Yeah, just the liner, not liner, hanging, hanging, around. hanging about. Must have something to do with something. Oh, I would think it has something to do with something for sure. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, it's been quiet on the riff this week as well, hasn't it? We've not really been. No, there's not been much going on. We play- I tried a new champion. Oh, who? With you? Who? I don't know. She was down in bottom lane. Oh, Samira! What a it's nightmare. Very difficult. Well, the thing about Samira, which we all had to endure, is that you have to be playing at a very high level for all of her abilities to unlock. Yeah. That's rough. 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 I'm going to start playing Yorick. Alas. Alas, poor Yorick. Mm. What does he do? He is kind of, he looks like a little bit of a sourpuss. And he's got like uh, a couple of little like minion-y characters that come out around him to protect him. Uh, you know, kind of like helpers. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit like Malzahar. But then his ultimate, he um, brings forth the maiden. Who's <laughs> the maiden? The maiden. She's just called the maiden. She's like a ghostly figure that goes and attacks people for him. Mm. Our friend Andrew plays Yorick. Uh, oh, you played golf with Andrew. How was that? It's good. Four! Four! Hit any squirrels? Uh, no, but I did I did see uh, a dead pigeon. Oh, do you think it'd been hit by a golf ball? Yeah, I think so. It do was, you? It was very fresh. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Any? Did you see any injuries on it? Do you see a golf ball nearby? No. No. Wow. Hit by a golf ball. Yeah, that Probably was be quick. sad. It was just it was just nine holes, and I was I was very rusty. Fusty. But do you play much golf? Not really. You golf, know, I but don't. you played a little. I played a little with you. I'm not good. And it's that way where when you when you go to swing, you feel as if your body's forgot how to swing a golf club. A bit tight. And you just go, that was ugly. It mm. just felt ugly. I'm sure it looked ugly. Mm. But it was fun. Out of the three of you, would you put yourself in third? How's your uh, son well, and how's how Andrew? Andrew won. Was he, I was, was second. He much better? Jack, yeah. no. no. It was like, um, I think it was two strokes he oh, won okay. by. Right. We're all about the same, to be right? honest. It's nice when you play with people who are the same. The yeah. worst is playing golf with someone who's excellent, and then he or she gets bored that you're kind of dragging your feet. And you're like, well, there's nothing I could do. This is going to be uh, 17 shots to get and in the hole. Another guy came round with us. That's, ah. the only th- that's one thing I don't really like about golf, is people can just join your gang. Oh, what? Did he just say, would you mind? Well, if you, the, it's it's normally four. You go round in fours. Four! Four! It's all fours in golf. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't got your four, 
like us, we had a three, yeah. and we were just teeing off, and the guy from the, you know, who's running the course said, uh, this is Zach, he's going to join you on the, uh, hmm. and you're like, uh, no, don't bother, yeah. but you can't but say he, that. But he, Zach can't go around on his own, can he? No, so they'll, they'll add him to whoever's got a three. It's fair enough, because uh, if you think about his shoes on the other foot, if you're in Mexico, yeah, Mr. Mi Amigo Billy. Yeah, but I, w- I, w- I would rather go around myself, would you? but they won't let you. Because then you're holding up the whole thing, aren't you? Well, how good was Zach? He was actually all right. Mm. He was probably, I would say, the same as us again. Nice. Everybody was about the same. Well, that's lovely when that happens. Can we talk about notifications for a second? Why not? I noticed the other night when I was at your house, you have the little clicker on your phone when you're typing. I don't care. Who's that for? Me. To know that you're typing? Yeah. Mine's completely silent. Who leaves those sounds on anymore? I guess maybe you. Well, apart from this sound. (coughs) Ah, yes. Another sale on Spotify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether your thing is vintage t-shirts or recipes for ghee, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store in your vibe, discover new customers, and grow the following that keeps them coming back. Shopify has all the sales channels sorted so your businesses keep growing, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to our 24-7 support and free libraries full of educational content, Shopify's got you every step of the way. It's why every minute new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you will too. My wife's got a Shopify business. You've met my wife. I love your wife. A fantastic Shopify business. Gallus Life. Gallus Life. Great t-shirts and some of the best coffee mugs on the planet. And she loves Shopify. Set Mm. it all up. She works with it every day, I suppose. And she thinks it's fantastic. Mm. Shopify makes selling simple so you can put yourself and your ideas out there. Whether your thing is making e-books or earrings, Shopify makes your success possible. When you're ready to launch your thing into the spotlight, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Go on, try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com onion, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com onion to start selling online today. Shopify.com onion. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if I've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch, Dom. Oh, isn't there? Always a catch. But when I first heard that Mint Mobile offered premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, well, what's the catch? Of course. I said, didn't I? You did, actually. What's the catch? But after talking to them and using the service, it all makes sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce as they're the first company to sell wireless online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly onto you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep the same phone number along with your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com onion. That's mintmobile.com onion. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash onion. Well, William, we've got a fantastic guest today. Yes, we do, Tom. Someone who really speaks my language because... English. Yes, and yours too, because he works in soil ecosystem responses to climate-driven environmental changes, also evolutionary ecology, ecological genomics, soil biodiversity, and microfauna, basically the tiny, teeny, tiny little creatures that live in between the teeny, tiny little pieces of soil. He's interested in that, is oh, he? Oh, he's interested, all right. It's amazing, <clears throat> isn't it, the world, how it works. Mm. It's a big, crazy machine. Mm. 
manned by many, many different species. Yeah. Just keeping it going. Keeping it going. <clears throat> Without these little things, the big things won't have anything to eat, right? Absolutely. Things won't grow. Clean soil, fresh air, oh. plants grow. All Isn't that, that amazing? Stuff. Yeah. Um, I watched a documentary on Infinity the other night. It's on Netflix. You'd like it. About <clears throat> our friend uh, Professor Brian Green was on it, talking about the notion of infinity and oh, yeah. what we what we initially thought was infinite, and now what's infinite to us. But isn't infinite always infinite? Is it? Uh, I think so. I mean, uh, you'd have to watch the documentary. Uh, did you watch it? Yeah, I watched Would it. it. Is it? Well, they didn't answer that question. <laughs> what did they answer? They were too busy talking about how infinity has changed over the years. But I don't think it can change. Well. That's not what the documentary said. <laughs> you know, at first, at first they thought the, the galaxy stops, whatever. But then it's not infinite. It's, it's not infinite. Finite. It's It's finite. And then they thought, no, it goes on forever. And then someone said, well, what does that mean? If it goes on forever, you'll never reach the end. And then Einstein put forward this idea that like, well, no, it could be like Earth, where if you keep walking east, you'll eventually come back to the same spot and go around again. And he said... Maybe the universe is like that. When you get to what you think is the quote-unquote end, you just come back. You come back. You so then you have to think of another dimension. Up the way, say, for instance. Up the up dimension. If you're only going east, west, north, south. North, south. But then you... The up dimension. And then what happens? Well, you just is it a circular it. that way as well? Yeah, it is. Do you hit the ceiling? You should watch it. It's on Netflix. You'd enjoy it. Something, something, something infinite. Or something, 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 infinity. I'm not sure. It's vague. I'll try and uh, work that out. Something, 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 infinite. Uh, I think it's infinity. What used to be yeah, infinite. I think it's something like the road to infinity or the path to infinity. I'll find that out for you. But I'm sure our guest would maybe have a few things to <laughs> well, say. We can maybe ask him. About uh, the infinite. And also, uh, he spent quite a bit of time he studying. Tons of stuff. Yeah, studying in the colder uh, parts of the planet. So, well, let's bring on our guest, the yeah, wonderful we? Byron Adams. Here he comes. Well, guys, as you know, I am a self-professed nerd in terms of animals, specifically invertebrates. Big fan of reptiles. I try and pride myself on being able to at least slightly know what animal I'm looking at. And if there's ever a quiz question about animals and I get it wrong, I spend weeks beating myself up about it. So I'm extremely excited to be joined on the show by Byron Adams, who um, is a PhD scientist studying the creatures that we find in soil generally. Is that right, Byron? That's right, Don. Now, Byron, before you jump into it, I'm just going to read a little bit of your bio because it's very impressive and it has a lot of uh, very big words. So I'll try my best. All right, here we go. After completing a Bachelor of Science, is that BS? BS. After completing a Bachelor of Science in Zoology at Brigham Young University in 1993, Byron earned his PhD in Biological Sciences at the University of Nebraska in 1998 and was postdoc at UC Davis in 1999 as an assistant professor in nematology and entomology department at the University of Florida. Byron taught courses in nematode morphology and anatomy, computer techniques in researches and invertebrate field biology as an associate professor in the biology department and member of the BYU Evolutionary Ecology Laboratories. He currently teaches Bio 240, which is molecular biology, and MM Bio 651, which is co-evolutionary analysis. I did not mess up one word. Woohoo! <laughs> very good. So, Byron, you're interested in the very, very small creatures that run the world. Is that correct? Yeah, the very small creatures that uh, rule the world, I would mm -hmm. say. They mm -hmm. play super important parts uh, in uh, the planet's uh, homeostasis, like keeping the planet functioning. Yeah. A, a lot of our planet outside outside of, you know, a lot of the ocean uh, is is soil based, you know, and uh, a huge amount of creatures live inside that soil. It's generally a lot of animals that we don't see. And unfortunately, because of that, a lot of humans just disregard those creatures. But could you talk a little bit more about specifically the importance of those animals and why they run the world for us? Yeah. So, um 
first of all, you know, much of the Earth's biodiversity is in the soil. In fact, it's probably the largest bio uh, repository of diversity on our planet. And we sort of just walk around on it, terra incognita. We don't really know much about what's below our feet or how important it is in general. Um, but those organisms that live in the soil perform all kinds of really important ecological processes for us. So like if you're interested in clean water or fertile soils, growing plants and food, bioremediation, taking care of pollutants that we put into the, to the soils, then you need to be interested in the organisms that live there because those are the functions that they perform for us. Mm. So re really important. Lots of invertebrates, obviously, quite a, quite a number of insects live in the soil, but lots of invertebrates as well. Are there any other um, types of animals that are enumerate in the soil? Because obviously I can't think of a huge amount of mammals. Obviously there's a few that we know of, you know, burrowing rats and mice and things like that. But it's, the soil is generally not full of mammals or birds. It's, it's taken up generally with invertebrates, right? That's right. Typically, mostly taken up by invertebrates. Mm. And, and they're extremely ab abundant. And they're just really small, so we don't see them. We don't notice them like we would a mammal or a bird or even macro invertebrates like crickets and grasshoppers mm. and things like that. Yeah. But they're, they're incredibly abundant. So they're just nematode worms alone. Uh, are the most abundant animals on our planet. So if you took all the animals on the planet, all the birds, the squirrels, the grasshoppers, zebras, and you put them in a big bag and you shook that bag up and you pulled out five animals, four of those animals would be a nematode worm. Wow. And, and, and most of your listeners are like, what's a nematode worm? Most people don't even know what those are you know, because they're so small and microscopic and beyond our view. Well, let's let's educate them. Let's tell people out there what a nematode worm is and why there why there are so many on our planet. Well, so nematode worms are microscopic round worms. So they're not really like the night crawlers you might see in your yard. Those are segmented worms. These are round worms and for the most part they're smaller than a millimeter long. So a really big one would be like a millimeter long. Mm. And they've lived on this planet for uh, hundreds of millions of years, maybe even billions of years, some of the very first organisms to evolve on our planet. And uh, they have very simple uh, biology, very simple design, body plans, uh, and that's made them perfect models of study. And so the first animal that was, had its genome sequenced was mm. a nematode worm, for example. Wow. Yeah. And, and they specifically eat and, and filter through soil. Is that what they do? Yeah. So they perform all kinds of functions in soil. And, and some, some nematodes, they, they just feed on, on bacteria, right? And they cycle nutrients like nitrogen and carbon and phosphorus. Others are parasites of plants and cause all kinds of human suffering because, you know, they're killing the plants that we want to eat. Some nematodes get into our stock animals, our, our, our farm animals, our pets even, right? Or even into humans and cause mm -hmm. big problems, mm -hmm. right? And so they're everywhere. Nematodes are everywhere on the planet. If you were to be sitting on the moon and looking at the planet Earth and you dissolved everything away except for just the nematode worms, you could still see the major features of the planet. You would be able to see the mountains and the oceans and, and, and even some biogeography. You'd be able to see like where the mammals live based on where the parasites, the nematode parasites of the mammals are on the earth. That, right. That's how abundant and numerous they are. The, yeah. the concentration of the worms in that area would show that there was a large animal in on or around that place. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Unfortunately, Tom, life doesn't come with a user manual. Mm. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel a bit stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a, a career change, mm. a new relationship, or maybe even becoming a parent. Oh, do you know something I don't? <laughs> Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, plus 100% online. Sometimes you just need to talk to the professionals. You and I have a great support system. We help mm -hmm. each other out. But maybe sometimes when you've got a friend that's so close, you might need an outsider to give Thanks. more of an unbiased point of view. You sometimes know? you don't want to burden your friends mm -hmm. and you just want to speak to um, a professional. Mm -hmm. 
As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. Mm -hmm. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash onion. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash onion. Reserve Bar is your online source for premium and luxury spirits, wine and champagne. And now Reserve Bar offers same-day delivery. Reserve Bar has a vast lineup of rare and hard-to-find bottles, premium brands, celebrity spirits and limited releases that you just won't find in your local store. I know. No one does spirit gifting better than Reserve Bar. You looking for an elevated gift? ReserveBar.com has you covered. And you can have that gift delivered right to their door. Even better, turn that spirit's gift into a cherished memento with custom engraving. Perfect for birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, Father's Day, you name it. Yeah. Getting into home bartending? Reserve Bar has everything you need. Spirits for the shelves? Sure. But they also have every barware tool and glass you'll need. Mm-hmm. Reserve Bar has a great feature called Cocktail Lounge. This is a treasure trove of cocktail recipes, bartending tips, interviews with master distillers, celebrities, and more. And the hot trend in spirits, Billy, is ready-to-drink cocktails. Have you tried them? Yes, they're delicious. You're drinking one right now. They taste better than ever, and Reserve Bar has a huge collection of them. These canned cocktails are great for parties when you don't have time to tend the bar or for tailgating season, which supposedly is uh, fully in swing right now. Reserve Bar also has barware, glassware, cocktail recipes, and more. Need something for a party tonight? Reserve Bar now offers same-day delivery straight to your door. Did you forget that special birthday gift? Reserve Bar to the rescue with same-day delivery. Visit ReserveBar.com today and use promo code ONION to save $10 off your purchase of $75 or more on spirits, wine or pre-made cocktails. But only when you use our special offer at ReserveBar.com with the code ONION. That's ReserveBar.com and code ONION. This offer expires December 31st, 2022. I, I speak to people quite a lot about animals and I, I'm a big fan of breaking myths about almost everything and certainly in the animal world with fear specifically, which, which I'm, I'm fascinated with people who are, are for the most part just generally scared of animals and I, I start to point out that not only are we animals and, and we are part of the natural world, but that also we, we are around animals all the time they're in our beds they're in our fingernails they're in our eyelashes they they live with us and if we did not have animals around us we would be dead relatively quickly you know so this this idea that nematode worms are so innumerate that you know they dominate the animal world is something that people need to kind of just latch onto and be okay with because it's not changing anytime soon you know it's not and like you said exactly like you said you don't want it to change right we, we, like, like if they're gone we're in big trouble right well let's go back byron if i may because we we always like to find out the origins of of, of people's interest because maybe there's someone out there listening that is fascinated by soil or fascinated by biology or or anything for you in your formative years you know between the ages of kind of seven eight nine ten eleven type thing were you fascinated with animals? Were you fascinated with animals that lived in the soil? Where, where did this fascination come from for you? I was fascinated with animals at an early age. I grew up on a very small farm in a really rural area where we had cows and ducks and sheep and rabbits and goats and everything on our, on our farm. And so I got to be around it. I got to be around them. I got to see biology, life, animals everywhere that I was. And and so that was, you know, during my formative years was uh, re really influential on my trajectory. But, you know, at the time, right, I wasn't really into soil animals. 
Uh, my father was a scuba diver, uh, like a, a, nice. like what we would nowadays call dinosaur divers. So like this Ooh. is the 1950s and the 60s, you know, where they would get their equipment at the Army Navy store, and it, people along the coast would line up and just watch these crazy people going into the water and scuba diving and stuff. And so I was raised in that environment. So, so not only did I learn the farm stuff, but also the ocean and the marine animals and those sorts of things. And so that was really influential in my interests in in biology and and in the study of animals as well mm. yeah so that, that got me going and then yeah. when I got to university you know it, it I just always thought if you love biology if you love animals your only career options are like medicine or right. or you know maybe if you're lucky you could be a veterinarian or something like that sure. or if you're really lucky you could have your own animal show right like right. Cratch Creatures or Marlon Perkins or something like that right and uh it wasn't until i got to university where i'm taking these courses that i realized oh man that the world of animals is much bigger than i ever thought it was and uh and the way that you know you could get paid to actually study these things and i was blown right. away i was like yeah that, that's the gig for me so nice. that's how i started down an academic path nice and and obviously you know with these with these university studies that take place and and you know further education that goes on with with PhDs and masters and all that kind of stuff. Generally, it is to serve the human species by studying these creatures or studying these these environments. So specifically, with you studying the invertebrates that live in the soil, is that so that we can try and have healthier soil, try and have healthier land for us for the for the human animal? Yeah, often you know we we pursue knowledge just for the sake of knowledge, right? We just want to know more. We want to know more stuff. But as it always works out, knowledge is very much empowering, right? And, it, and the more we understand these organisms and their functions in the soil, it turns out it's, it's allowing us to address a lot of really important problems that we face mm. with our things like soil fertility and, and primary production, like just growing food, right? In, mm. in terms of, you know, meeting growing demands for the number of people that we need to feed on this planet. And being able to deal with the, you know, the the pollution that we face, and and those sorts of things, and so a better understanding of what these organisms are and what their functions are in the soil, are are starting to illuminate uh, their importance, and and help us to understand how we can be better stewards, how how we can treat the soil, manage the soil, manage our ecosystems so that they can be healthier and more productive. Mm. And at this particular juncture that we're at in, in human evolution, where would be classically the healthiest soil on the planet and where would be the soil that is in most need of some help? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an interesting question and it gets at some of the topics you've uh, talked about on some of your other podcasts, right? About like what's good and what's bad or what's healthy or what's unhealthy, right? What's a good insect versus a bad insect? And, right. you know, you, right, we have to put that into context. You know, sure. it's like, you know, what's good for one thing might be bad for another. Uh, but in general, like our most fertile places that we can grow food, you know, humans really have, have uh, hammered those areas really hard. Mm. And, um, and we have degraded our soils in these areas. And so it's only now that science is starting to catch up with that and we're coming up with ways that we can, you know, better take care of our soils. Um, but, you know, in terms of like, like human evolution and where we've lived before and where we've been able to build our, our societies and our civilizations, I mean, almost every, you, you show me a civilization that has collapsed and I can show you a civilization that is not taking care of its soil resources, right? Mm -hmm. Almost every mm -hmm. single time you look at a civilization that's collapsed, it corresponds with degradation of their soils and, and their mm -hmm. ability to sustain their population. Right, these disappearing communities of people that seem to have vanished overnight when we look at them through history, like you said, that it's either the water has run out or the soil is, is something that has now been tarnished. They can't plant their, their crops there yeah. anymore. Um, yeah, fascinating. I mean, obviously, humans have spent a lot of time living next to huge bodies of fresh water because that's helpful and also at the base of uh, volcanoes because that creates fertile soil initially, but as you said, if you're far farming that soil over generations, sooner or later it becomes depleted. And that's why now you have kind of fallow land that gets left for a few years so they can come back to it, huh? 
Yep, that's right. Yeah, so we're starting to learn more about practices that we can engage in that will better retain our nutrients and our soil and the structure of the soil without leaching it out to the oceans. And then that those, those nutrients that are great for our soils end up really messing up our waterways. And so being yeah. able to, to keep our soils intact and prevent soil erosion ends up being an important um, uh, 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 mitigation strategy. Mm. So you must spend a lot of time in your day looking through a microscope since so many of these animals that you're studying are barely able to be seen by the naked eye, right? Yeah, I spend some time looking at them under a microscope, uh, but in, in the you know, last 10 or 20 years or so, we've spent a lot more time looking at them at like their genomes and their DNA sequences and things like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, you know, the, 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 the impact that they have on the soil chemistry, the, the geochemistry, and that kind mm. of stuff. But yeah, yeah, I spend a lot of time behind a microscope, particularly when I'm in Antarctica, you know, collecting the, the animals there and identifying, enumerating, deciding which species they are and, and, and that sort of stuff. I have a microscope at home too. You know, I was brought up, my, my dad was a science teacher um, and my brother continues to be a science teacher. And we, here and there throughout our childhood, we would have a microscope in our house maybe our dad would bring back a microscope for the summer holidays or for the christmas holidays and uh i still have that now in my house it's on my dining room table guaranteed if i see an animal that i a small animal that i've not yet seen dead before because i've seen i've seen dead bees so many times i don't i don't pick up dead bees anymore but if i'm, I'm walking to my car and I, I see a dead invertebrate i'll usually just put it in the in the queue in the line next to my microscope for something <laughs> to look at for me it's like a little little game of being an animal detective, which I've always kind of enjoyed. Not only am I hoping to maybe come up with a hypothesis as to how that animal might have died, but maybe what actually killed that animal or what ate that animal based on, you know, oh, it avoided the, the crunchy legs and went straight for the kind of soft body parts or sometimes, you know, it's been broken apart into, into different pieces. And I just, I love... Well, it's almost like looking at a crime scene and you're like, okay, we have the dead body and now we go backwards from the dead body to see what actually occurred. Like, does it have a disease? Did it, did it die in the hot summer sun? You know, I can, I can do that all the time. And I generally do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love it. Well, let's talk about Antarctica because classically, one would think that invertebrates don't do well in antarctica but obviously there are some creatures that not only do well in antarctica but you know kind of flourish there because they don't have a huge amount of competition so can you again can you kind of break some of these myths and tell us what animals actually do do well in those sub yeah conditions? yeah so one of the myths is that the entire continent of antarctica is completely covered with ice and right. And most of it is about 98% of the continent is covered by an ice sheet that on average is about a mile thick, right? And at the South Pole, it's two miles thick. You're, you're drilling through wow. two miles of ice before you hit the dirt below it. But the Transantarctic mountains run across that continent and they prevent the ice sheet from coming over the other side of the mountains. And so on the leeward side of the mountains, you got these large ice-free areas and then sort of dotted around the continent. You've also got some areas that are ice-free where you have soils, you have open soils. And there are organisms that live there, you know, and things like tardigrades and nematodes. And up in the peninsula area, you even have uh, some uh, insects that are there. But the biodiversity is extremely low. There are very, very few animals that can live yeah. in Antarctica. Now, when I say animals in Antarctica, most people, they think, oh, like, I don't know, like penguins, man, and seals and killer right. whales and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and I'm like, mm, yeah, nah, those are all cool but they all live in the ocean. Those are marine animals. And so if mm -hmm. we're talking about the charismatic megafauna of continental Antarctica, you're talking about microscopic animals that mostly yeah. live in the soil. And these, yeah. these animals have persisted there for a long time. So originally people thought, oh, with the, with the ice ages, that continent was completely covered with ice. And so all of these organisms that live there had to have recolonized that continent in the last 15,000 years or so. And uh, those of us who study these animals and look at them and we understand their evolution, we're like, yeah, that's a totally bogus idea. Like, like these organisms are endemic. They evolved to live here a long, long time ago and they've somehow mm. been able to survive, you know, these mm. glacial cycles and these crazy cycles of extreme cold and, and ice mass mm. on the continent. 
But yeah, so these organisms are adapted to live in these really cold, dry, nasty environments, and they're super mm -hmm. tough. Uh, they can yeah. survive their cells being frozen like a popsicle and then come back alive when they thaw out. They can be yeah. frozen to a crisp, like freeze-dried to a crisp, and then you mm -hmm. add water and they come back alive again. And so uh, in, in that sense, those are some of the adaptive strategies they have to survive in such a harsh, harsh uh, area. Yeah, so we hit, we hit upon the nematode worm uh, a, a while ago, but the tardigrade, which has obviously picked up quite a bit of momentum in the world's media as being, quote unquote, the world's toughest animal <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, can live in the great expanses of, of our solar system and you know can get put into a microwave, you can hit it with a hammer, all this kind of stuff. Some of that might not be true. Some of it could be uh, moving into folklore, but... So it, the the common name for it is it is it the woolly bear is that what you guys yeah have the, the water it? bear we call it they're like the water, water bear, bear or water piglet they look like right. little pigs crawling around in your dish yeah you a squishy a little face right yeah. with like rudimentary leg type appendages uh, um, yeah. and um, they they have been on this planet for a long long time without having seemed to evolve too much because they haven't needed to right they've they've perfected what they need to look like yeah they haven't had to add much to their repertoire right and right. The, and the same and and you know they get a lot of press for being super tough but they're in the same yeah. class with nematodes and rotifers they're all able to survive you know about the same types of environmental insults and they've been around a long, <laughs> long too. time. They've, yeah, they, they evolved these mechanisms a long, long time ago. And it's not just the animals in our Antarctica that can do this. I mean, the animals outside, you, the nematodes and the tardigrades, the rotifers that live in like hot deserts and cold deserts and other places right. are also able to, to do this sort of stuff. It's just that the ones that, that survived in Antarctica have sort of like upped their game a bit and can, can some, yeah. you do it at a more extreme level. It's a it's a much harsher environment. I mean, there are some amphibians that that can you know get frozen into blocks of ice and and come back right, but it's probably not quite as extreme as Antarctica. These animals have obviously evolved to be able to sit in a in a space of kind of stasis for a long, long time until the temperatures become in some way more manageable. When when you said they that you can freeze them into you know a block of ice like a like a popsicle or or freeze dry them when you guys are studying them at that particular point is it when you're watching them are they essentially asleep or are they still going through you know are they eating are they breathing are they moving or are they just frozen they're just they're in what we call like suspended animation they they've mm -hmm. gone into a state of uh, like cryptobiosis we call it or or when they're dried out we call it anhydrobiosis life without water mm -hmm. And so they're just in suspended animation and they can survive in that state for long, long periods of time. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, you just provide, uh, you know, liquid water and they come back alive again and, and, and they're active again. How quickly is that process? If you've got a tardigrade that's frozen and you then introduce some liquid water to it, will it, will it start to show signs of life within a couple of minutes or is it hours? Uh, it's between minutes and hours. Yeah, it's okay. it's it's really fast, and it just totally blows my mind every time I see it, right? Because I got these in my freezer, you know, and some of them are like 15, 20 years old, and I, I pull them out, I I warm them up, add liquid water, and you just watch them slowly come back alive again. And it's totally it's totally the coolest thing. They must be they must be starving at that point. What does a tardigrade generally eat? Is it soil matter, vegetation? Yeah, yeah. So the ones that we study, uh, they eat uh, bacteria mostly. We think, and maybe you know yeast cells and stuff like that. Microbe. They're microbivorous. They they crawl around and graze on bacteria that's growing in the soil environment for the most part. Some of them right. are predators. Some of them can eat other microinvertebrates, small animals. Um, but right. the, the majority of the ones that we study in Antarctica, they're at the very top of the food chain. And there's nothing Ooh. else that eats them. And they eat Ooh. bacteria. And so you can see it's a very simple, simple food web. If, if you're watching the average nematode worm or tardigrade that, that isn't going through this, this kind of 
uh, crypto hibernation, what is their general life cycle that they that they would have in in a normal life? Yeah, so you know, like outside your window there in the park, if you had a handful of these these animals, you know, every their life cycle, you know, every three weeks they would probably go from egg to adult and have like hundreds and hundreds of offspring, and that would be mm-hmm. their their life cycle, two to three week life cycles when it's you know summertime in antarctica you know we get liquid water for you know like maybe four five six weeks out of the year and so that's just barely enough time for them to thaw out maybe graze a little grow a little bit and then they have to freeze again and Mm. so it might take seven years in antarctica then for for them to complete their life cycle you eventually Mm. you know they get a great summer when they're mature adults they find females, they mate, you know, and then maybe the next year they lay their eggs and then the year after that they might hatch. So you can see that their life cycles are greatly extended just because of the environment that they're in. And for you in that environment, how, how often in the year are you, are you taking field trips to Antarctica? So we go to Antarctica every year. So I'm part of a long-term ecological research project there uh, that started before I started going down there in 1993. And every year we study how these ecosystems are responding to climate-driven changes, right? So disturbance is climate, and the response is these soil communities and the chemistry of those soils. And so when I go down there, I'm down there for maybe two or three months out of the year. So every year I go down there for two or three months, and uh, we collect our samples and do all our science and our research and that sort of stuff, and then we... We ship, we, we mostly do field work while we're there, and then we ship science, mm. the samples back here to my lab where we do the genetics and the genomics and that kind of stuff. Right, and so how many, do you have a, do you have a guess as to how many times you've been down to Antarctica now? Yeah, I've been Ish. down to Antarctica uh, 18 times, I think. Nice. Yeah. And if you were to speak to the Byron that went down the first time as opposed to the Byron that went down on the 18th time, what have you learned over that time like were you overpacking the first time were you were you ner- did you bring 15 pairs of gloves and you only really need one like what's what's changed in that time yeah so i the first few times i went down i wasn't ever certain i was going to ever come back again and so i always had to like overpack and now i've got like a stash bag that i can keep down in mcmurdo station so i don't have to pack it quite as much stuff back and forth every year i just kind of keep my big boots and some of like right. extra socks and uh, long uh, underwear and that sort of stuff down there. Right. Um, yeah. So, like and in terms of what I've learned, what like what my old me would say to my new me is, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because I think I'm still just as blown away by how amazing it is to do research down there now as I was then. Hmm. I mean, now hmm. it was then I didn't know what I was doing until I actually got my boots on the ground and started looking at these ecosystems. And it was it was just amazing. Like Mother Nature had done this incredible experiment by controlling for biodiversity. But like like out, outside your office there, a handful of soil would have like maybe 30, 40 species of just nematode worms and hundreds of thousands hmm. of individuals. And and in Antarctica, it's you got like one, two, three species of worms, you know, and just mm-hmm. and abundance is really low. There's no plants above ground to mess up what happens mm-hmm. in the soil. You know, plants take stuff out of the atmosphere, they pump it in the soil, it makes it it complicates, complicates things. Mm-hmm. And in Antarctica, mm-hmm. you know, Mother Nature controlled for that. And so, well, the first time I got down to Antarctica and I looked around, I just saw testable hypotheses everywhere I looked. It was mm-hmm. it was total brain candy for science nerds and. And it, and it continues to be that way, so. That's great. And then obviously we, in the last kind of 25 or 30 years or so, we have pushed quite heavily this idea of climate change and, you know, the, the significance of what humans are doing to change the, the environment on our planet. It is quite profoundly felt and seen in the polar regions because you know, as, as you said, there's not a huge amount more there apart from massive amounts of ice, which is, you know, depleting at an accelerated rate. 18 years ago, when you went down there, what are you now seeing uh, that you can very accurately attribute to climate change? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Hmm. Uh, a sad one as well. It's, well yeah, it's a sad one, but but I, I mean, we were lucky to be in a position that we could anticipate, we could make predictions about what we thought would happen, 
with climate change, mm -hmm. and we could set up experiments, and we could set up mm -hmm. monitoring uh, experiments where we could then test these hypotheses. And so one of the things that we predicted was that as it gets warmer and wetter, that some of these animals that like it warm and wet are going to increase in abundance and expand across the landscape. And then the animals that like it cold and dry and harsh and salty, they're, they're going to become less abundant and they're going to contract their, their ranges across the landscape. And, you, you know, you look at our, our data and that's exactly what we're starting to see. We're starting to see these big changes in the structure of these communities across the landscape in response to these climate driven changes. And, and then, you know, as those organisms change their abundance and their distribution, I mean, you can think about their functions, right? What's their function in those ecosystems? And that changes the functioning of these ecosystems as well. So we're able to study these in these simple ecosystems and then hopefully use that information to scale up, right? To inform, you know, how, how we now might understand or study uh, our agricultural ecosystems or our managed ecosystems, our natural forest ecosystems and those sorts of things. Mm. Mm. And when you're down there, you're staying in a, in a field research center, is that right? Yeah, there's a field research center. So there's a big, uh, McMurdo Station is like a big giant flying J truck stop kind of thing. Uh, it's like a college right. campus almost. Right. And then we right. do our field work. We fly in helicopters out to the field and we live in, in like smaller remote field camps out there. Yeah. The helicopters do okay out there like the thinness of the air is not something that they need to be conscious of or, uh, or is it? you know they do have to be conscious of that sort of thing and i'm always amazed at the skill that these uh, helicopter pilots have it, it just you can see in their head they're just constantly doing math making calculations mm. about how much weight they have and what the air temperature is and how much lift mm. they're going to get and that sort of thing mm. they do and and of course notoriously the weather in antarctica is just awful and it can you know it can get bad really quickly and so um, i'm yeah. always like total respect for the you know the folks who do science support down there the the, the helicopter yeah. pilots and the technicians and those folks yeah um obviously when you're down there you're, you're working as hard as you can and and uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys work a lot are there days where the person who calls the shots comes to you guys and said and says unfortunately no one's going out today it's not possible and if that's the case what do you guys do instead are you like really good at scrabble <laughs> or like really good at tetris yeah so you have to be really really good at being flexible macgyvering things like just making do and you know we've got so much work to get done that you know if they say hey you're not flying to this place or that place you're staying here today then we're like cool we can do this and this and this while we're there and, and that that yeah. happens pretty frequently like like daily or like multiple times per mm. day we're having to adjust mm. our schedule in response to that sort of stuff yeah mm. is there a ping pong table down there or a pool <laughs> table can you can you guys watch netflix like what what do you do yeah you so the, all of that's available uh but but we don't do much of that honestly we mm. have such a short window of time to do the science mission that we're after and you know, uh, like we tell each other, oh, we're going to just work hard until sundown, right? And, you know, it's kind of funny because the sun never goes down when we're down there, right? It's like right. we have 24-hour right. sunlight. And so we just, right. we, we're working so hard. We have such a limited time to collect our samples, to do our experiments, and to, to, to get all of that stuff done that there's very little downtime. And, and when, right. when we do have downtime, when, when, you know, when the weather's bad or whatever, we just adjust and, and do something else. But I will say, you know, that, you know, the folks that work down there are incredibly creative. They're all artists and writers mm. and musicians and, and mm. hilarious, brilliant people. And you put them all in one spot and it, it's, it's, it's a magical place, you know. So yeah. you, when, if you did have downtime and you couldn't do anything, there's something to be done there yeah right i mean you guys are you guys are contained so i'm sure obviously you know you guys come up with stuff because you know you have a you have a huge amount of limitations so you're like okay this is this is our playground this is what we've got um that's fun um how about any strange phenomena do you have you seen any bizarre things in the night sky have you had any close shaves with large predators do you are there any anecdotal stories of you know people being chased by something that you can't quite make sense of or anything like that? <laughs> I love this because there is a lot of really nutty lore out there about yes. Antarctica and, 
And so I always get, you know, from the flat earthers, they ask me, you know, is there really a wall of ice that you know, like I've flown over the continent, you right. know, it's the, the, the earth is round or whatever. Or right. are there like Nazi cyborg bases hidden somewhere in the <laughs> ice, you know, or these no fly zones like like, you know, been there like, no, you know, right. it's all it's all good. Right. Um, you know, most of the and and honestly, we're really, really safe while we're there. Mm. Like safety is the top priority yeah. for everything that we do. People come first. And so there's, you know, but having said that, it is still very dangerous. There's mm. still people that fall into crevasses and, and they pass away or we mm. can't save them or mm. or people who, you know, uh, have you know, a heart attack while they're scuba diving or something and right. you know, they pass away. Right. So those sorts of events do happen, right. um, but it's very rare. And most, most of the time, anytime that we're in danger, it's usually weather related yeah. or mechanical related types of things. The most dangerous thing I do down there probably is just fly in helicopters. Yeah. The most dangerous thing that we do. It's like the most dangerous thing that we do in our day is driving in our car. That's your equivalent <laughs> right, of a car, yeah. right? So, and and there's an on-site doctor hospital type vibe down there at all times. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a small hospital at McMurdo Station. There's a doctor that's on call there, but they have very limited resources. Sure. You know, they can basically package you up. Yeah. And hopefully you get you off. to a trauma center. But you know, the closest trauma center is in you know uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. And right. You know, that can be from the time you're injured to the time you get there can be like 18 hours or so. Right. So, so we go through really strenuous uh, physical qualification tests and stuff like that before we go down to right. make sure that we don't have anything that might act up while we're there. Sure. And then we're just really careful while we're there. And you touched upon the, the notion earlier on that you, you don't have a night sky because uh, the sun doesn't set over there. Um, at no point in the year does it set or just when you guys are down there, it doesn't set? Just when we're down there, it doesn't set. So the, the sun rises once and then it sets once each year. So it'll rise, you know, you know, in, in like September, September, October, August, September, October. Mm. And then it stays up above the horizon until like February, March, and then it'll go below the horizon. So you essentially get five months of darkness and five months of full sunlight with about a month of, you know, in what do you call it? Like twilight or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and how about things like food? Is there any complications with food? I mean, obviously, if you're eating your food anywhere near where it's cold, you're going to be in trouble. But inside the center itself, you're, you're toasty. You're not struggling to stay warm. Yeah, so uh, in, the, in our field camps, we have little huts where we can cook and keep our feed. And, you know, we, you know the, all the food that we eat is like past its expiration date usually because mm -hmm. it comes down, you know, like a year at least. Like the, you know, the freshest food that we get is at least a year old. It yeah. comes down on a ship the prior season. Right. And, it, and we, we make do with that. It's just fine. You know, we, we get by. Um, uh, but you do, you know, when you're cold and you're working hard, you burn a lot of calories. And yeah. so we end up eating a lot. Yeah. Um, and there must yeah, be... I gain about five pounds a year, probably. Oh, nice. <laughs> but like you said, you need that little insulation because it's so cold down there. Um, have you guys hosted a lot of film crews? Because obviously there's a lot of people trying to make shows about the Antarctic environment. Yeah. Yeah. So there are film crews that come down. Logistically, it's very challenging. You know, like if you wanted to do a show in Alaska, yeah, you just load it up in a van and you drive up there. Right. But, you know, getting your film crew to Antarctica is super challenging because it has to fit in, you know, along with, uh, you know, the science programs. And so the, you know, the, the Air Force is the one that flies us down. There's only so many seats on these airplanes. Mm -hmm. and And so typically when film crews come down, they're really much much smaller they're scaled down they have to be really nimble they have to make do with you know certain you know, the you know the, the the number of people operating cameras and sound and and producers and things like that are much smaller than a, a normal production would be yeah um, but yeah they they come down frequently usually uh once a year like yeah. like they'll overlap with me in the field sometimes and come down and and, and, and I've learned a lot from them. They're super cool folks. Yeah, I bet. Um, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of those guys are quite keen to find some of the classically easier to um, understand animals, whereas you're leaning towards, oh, no, you should look at this thing that's, you know, in, inside, <laughs> inside my hand here, you know. <laughs> it, it, that, that's true. And most of the time they're like, oh, yeah, 
yeah, cool, cool story, bro. Where's the penguins? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, kind of like that. Yeah. You know, these charismatic organisms that are there. But to be fair, like a lot of a lot of the folks who have been down there, you know, in my 18 years, honestly, they really do care about the science. They care about the story. They mm. care about making a difference with their work. Mm. And, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it is a shame. Again, I'm, you know, I'm I'm always trying to help people out with with understanding the natural world a little bit more. And I, I do think it's a shame that we found ourselves in this position of saying, you know, whatever, this animal is good, this animal is bad, or this animal is cool, this animal is boring. You know, even even animals that can very easily hurt us, like lions and great whites, are now at a point of like, well, yeah, they can hurt us, but they're so cool and they do this and everyone wants to see them. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a really fun thing to watch an animal bring down a Thompson's gazelle, yeah, or you know, watch a watch a shark kill a seal. But you know, these very small, tiny animals that seem to be doing little things, universally are doing something profound, and and we need to connect to that. If if you're an animal lover, I mean, almost almost anyone claims to be an animal lover. This is another thing that I talk about with people, you know. Most people, it's like saying, do you like films? People are like, yeah, I like films. Everyone likes films. Who doesn't like films? You know, if you say, do you like animals? People are like, yeah, of course I love animals. I have a dog, I have a cat, I have a, a parrot or whatever. But then my, my vibe with those people is it's not a selective group. You, you don't get to pick which animals you love. If you're an animal lover, you love all animals. You love ticks. You love leeches, you love bats, you love <laughs> slugs in the same way that we love elephants and gorillas and dogs and cats. You know, if you if you're flying the flag of saying you're an animal lover, then let's let's see it. You know, yeah, I, I love that. And think about it. If all we studied were those char charismatic mammals and birds and and reptiles, our understanding of the world, our place in the world would be just, you know, it would be so minuscule yeah. and. And then also back to the question of like good and bad. You, you mm. think about the biomedical breakthroughs that we've had in in you know genetics and biomedicine that have come from uh, nematode worms, for example, or mm. fruit flies. You know mm. our study of, of Drosophila and and those sorts of things because they're manageable. We can work mm. on them in the lab. We can understand them. They're simpler, and mm. then we can scale up to humans. We can scale up to to primates and, mm -hmm. and use that information to make a difference. And, you know, if all we did was just study ourselves and our, you know, and our dogs and our cats and, and primates and maybe crocodiles and stuff, mm. we would miss out on all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We would. And, and we're all, we're all connected. You know, we, we all, all living animals and, and plants and trees and fungi are all sharing this collected experience on planet earth. And that is a beautiful thing to try and, connect to i say that sometimes to people who maybe i mean i try not to let it happen in front of me but someone says oh i saw a spider today and i killed it or right, there was a bee in my house and i crushed it or i stood on an ant today because it was in my way and i try and have them connect to this idea of like that's someone's son or daughter that is a creature that is looking for shelter it's a creature that's looking for food for safety to get out of the cold to get out of the roasting hot temperatures they're telling the same stories that we're telling. We're all, we're all someone's son or daughter. We're all trying to stay safe. We're trying to procreate. We're trying to do the right thing. And just because you can kill an animal, very often it doesn't mean that you should. Don't get me wrong. If I'm in rooms with no mosquito nets and a mosquito's having a go at me all night, there's a pretty strong chance that I'm going to swat it. But if I have a mosquito net and it can't get to me, I'm going to leave it alone and let it do its thing. This is an animal having a life experience. Who am I to just kill it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we've co-evolved with all of these animals. Mm -hmm. We have a shared evolutionary history mm -hmm. with so many of these animals. And what we're finding is that as we remove them from our environment, we suffer, Ooh. right? Not at, like our mental health, our physical health suffers as we remove them from us. We, we try and separate ourselves from our evolved, our co-evolved natural world. Mm. And we ended up being worse off for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it turns out being exposed to some parasites, you know, is really good for our immune system. Mm -hmm. And folks that have, you know, you know, just take hygiene to the next level, they end up, their immune systems end up suffering mm -hmm. because of that. I, I think just in general, I really like the picture you paint with that. 
that 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 you you know there's this whole planet that we share with all of these other organisms and when we try and manipulate that when we try and change those relationships sometimes it ends up not being like a great outcome mm, yeah absolutely well Bra- uh, byron it's been fantastic talking to you um we love having people on that come from a place of passion we love have people uh, having people on that obviously uh, enamored with with the natural world because myself and uh, and billy are too and um you do fantastic work, man, and um, good luck to you on your next uh, trip to Antarctica. When do, when do you next go? When's, when's the next uh, field trip for you? So next, yeah, next time I head down will be in early December of this year. Nice. We'll be down December, January, February. Oh, so you're always there over the Christmas period, and you, get, you guys obviously celebrate a little <laughs> Christmassy thing, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we do our best to celebrate a little bit and, yeah, have a good time down there. Fantastic. Well, Byron, it's lovely talking to you. Um, Good luck to you in, in your um, in your chosen field of study and in life in general. Yeah, thanks a ton, Tom. Thanks for thinking of me. I had a great time here, and, and thanks for all you do to spread the love. Thanks, Byron. All right, take it easy, man. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.